You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, y'all can take a seat. And uh, I'm going to try teaching down here because I don't know if you see, but there's a giant baptismal where I'm usually standing. And so um, we, uh, we did the baptismal in the trough instead of back in the back just because it's a, it's a little bit more, uh, it's a little closer. We can see a little bit better, especially for the kids. And so I um, hope, hope that that uh, was, an, was just an awesome moving experience for y'all. It surely was for me. And uh, let me just say, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, and I'm a pastor here. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. We're so happy that you're here, especially if you're visiting, especially if you came to uh, you know, support McKenzie or Dakota or Della here as they're getting baptized and celebrate with us. We really appreciate you being here. We, we love that you're here, and we would want to invite you to uh, you know, come back and <laughs> be a part of this church family. I can tell you that the people that are sitting around you are really awesome people, and they are in great encouragement to me in my walk with Jesus. I think they will be to you in your walk with Jesus or your exploration in faith in Christ. And so I just, uh, again, want to say thanks for being here. It's been an awesome morning, and I'm looking forward to this next part as we're going to spend time in John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible or a phone, whatever, you can go there. And as you do, um, let me just confess something kind of Kind of maybe uh, surprising hearing this from a pastor, but um, <laughs> I'm just not a fan of of the label Christian. <laughs> you know, like uh, I just I, I think it's because it's so uh, ill defined that uh, I would have just discomfort. I'm uncomfortable. With that label, like if someone were to stop me if I was walking on the street and say, "Hey, hey, are you a Christian?" Which you know, no one does, right? But if someone were to do that to me and say, "Hey, are you a Christian?" I, I would say yes, but I would I would want to quickly qualify. Like I'd be yes, but but like, let me tell you what kind of Christian I am. You know, like do you feel that a little bit? The reason I feel that is because. Huh, like I said, the, the, the word Christian is so ill-defined that uh, groups and people have co-opted it. Everyone from you know, Christian nationalism to health and wealth preachers to uh, you know, just uh, white supremacist groups and on and on. It's like, okay, well, anyone these days seems like they could just call themselves a Christian, and as a result, is so broad, it just doesn't have much of a specific meaning, and therefore, I'm uncomfortable with it. Do you know that Jesus never used the word Christian? Like, never. In fact, it only shows up three times in the entire Bible. You know, you, you would think it would only be in the New Testament, which it is, but three times only in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, uh, the it shows up is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, actually. And what we learn in that reference is that when it's used, it's, it's actually used by people outside of the church to describe this new movement of people, both Jews and Gentiles, that, that, that this is this new group in their city. And they say, well, those, we call them Christians. 
And as a result, you could actually say that uh, the word Christian is a uh, non-Christian word. <laughs> it comes from non-Christian origins. And, and because of that, it, again, in the Bible, it's never defined. It's never said exactly what this is or what it's not, and that's why it's so easily co-opted. See, there was another word that Christians, if you will, used to describe themselves in the, uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament. It, it was the word, perhaps you know, it, it was the word disciple, right? Disciple. And, and in fact, in Acts 11, verse 26, where the word uh, Christian is first used, it, it actually reads this. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Meaning, uh, the disciples who called themselves the disciples were first called Christians by the people living in Antioch. See, uh, disciple is what they would call themselves. Now, I, I got another confession to make. I'm kind of uncomfortable with the, the word disciple as well. <laughs> but for an entirely opposite reason. Because, yeah, I'm, un, I'm uncomfortable with the word Christian because it's so ill-defined. It just kind of means anything. Whereas I'm uncomfortable with the word disciple because it's so clearly defined that sometimes I wonder if it really does describe me. And uh, perhaps you can feel that way too. See, the, the word disciple in Scripture, in the Greek and in English, is the same meaning. It, it means like student or apprentice, or follower. And so that's the idea. And I love what Dallas Willard says when he's describing a disciple in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He, he puts it this way. He says, a disciple or apprentice is someone, uh, simply someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person does is, which is why church family, Midtown, you know this, but we, de we define a disciple of Jesus as someone who's committed to being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. Now, that's, that's very different than the meaning that we attach to the word Christian, isn't it? And this morning, my question that I want to ask y'all is this. Uh, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Or really, let me like ratchet it up a notch. Uh, would the people who know you, the people in your life, would, would they say that you're a disciple? You think, well, Jake, how, how would they know? I mean, how would they know? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 13 how they would be able to tell if you're a disciple of his or not. So we're going to look at that together. Before I do, let me just remind you all that a couple weeks ago, we started uh, a new series in, from uh, John chapter 13. We're going to go all the way through John chapter 17, and this is called the Upper Room Discourse in Scripture. And so uh, we're calling the series the Upper Room Discourse, and, and this what takes place in these five chapters, 13 through 17, is that everything that Jesus, Jesus' interaction with and everything he had to teach his disciples the night before he would die is captured right here in these 
five chapters. And so, you know, you know that the dying words, you know, last words carry a lot of weight. This, this is going to be really fun to get to study and see, like, what is Jesus communicating when he knows that he's about to die and he's about to leave his disciples? And so that's what we're looking at. And we, today we come to John chapter 13, as Jen read for us, verses uh, 33 through 35. And uh, what we see in this passage is that Jesus really was fully aware that he was about to leave them, that he was, he was about to to die. And so he says, hey guys, let me tell y'all something. Here's how people will know that you're still a disciple of mine, even after I'm gone. Here's how people will be able to tell. So look, look what he says. John chapter 13, verse 33. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer, and you will look for me just as I told the Jews so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, Jesus says this because, as I said, he, he knows he's about to die. In fact, the very next day, he's going to die. He knows that he's going to rise again, and then, then he knows it's going to be a short period of time that he will ascend to the right hand of the Father. He's keenly aware that he will not be with his disciples any longer. And so he tells them, how people will still be able to tell that they're his disciples after he left. And the reason why that's important is because the way that up to this point people could tell that they were his disciples was because they followed him wherever he went, right? I mean, this Jesus being there, their rabbi, their teacher, he would walk into a town and a village and behind him would just this tag-along group of, of these guys. And actually beyond these guys, another group that would just follow Jesus and people would look at Jesus and say, he's the rabbi. And they would look at this followers and they'd say, they're his disciples. But when Jesus were to, was to leave and knowing that he's about to leave, then the question is, is how would anyone tell that they're his disciples? Because he's no longer physically present with them. And so Jesus says, hey guys, let me, let, me, let me give you a new command. Let me tell you how people will still be able to tell you're my, my disciples. Even after I'm gone. And he says this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you Love one another. Okay. At risk of getting a little bit uh, too technical for you here, um, let me just try to highlight the significance of this by pointing out that uh, the word this and that by this people will be able to know, everyone will be able to know you're my disciples. That word this, that's a demonstrative pronoun. Y'all remember that from English class? Anyone's like, all right, yeah, yeah, I'd love those things. Um, the demonstrative pronouns are used to point to something specific. And in this case, it's a singular demonstrative pronoun, meaning that here Jesus points to one specific thing that was to be able that was to be the indicator that someone was his disciple. That one thing being how they love one another. See, this is Jesus saying, hey guys. If you keep this new commandment, everyone will still be able to tell you're my apprentices. Everyone's going to be able to still tell that you're my disciples, even after I'm no longer with you. Now, why do you think Jesus pointed to this one specific thing? 
I think it's helpful to think about it this way. If a disciple is someone who apprentices under another in order to become like them and to do what they do, then what word would you use more than any other word to describe what Jesus is like and what he does? Is it not the word love? Yeah, it is. And so <laughs> Jesus says, okay, the distinguishing mark that will tip everyone off. You're still one of my apprentices as if is by how you love one another. And like, friends, I'm, I'm both drawn to and challenged by the clarity of this statement. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm drawn to it because I love this. Like, yeah, I love that Jesus' disciples will be known by their love. I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And yet I'm really challenged by it. Because I know the type of love that Jesus says will be the distinguishing mark of his disciples is uh, rarely found in me. See, when Jesus calls this a new command, he called it that not because there was never before a command for people to love one another, that had been around for a long time. I mean, all the way back to Leviticus 19, the people of Israel were given the command, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So that had been a long-standing standard of how they were to love. And Jesus, up to this point, before this night, had actually reiterated that. I mean, you think about the great commandment when someone asked him, okay, what's the greatest commandment in all Scripture? And Jesus said, if you remember Matthew 22, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your your mind with all your strength. And then he says, and the other is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he said, like, this is the standard. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, as we talked through last year, you remember that Jesus actually gave a different spin on that command when he gave us what's known as the golden rule, right? The do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's like, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, up to this point, the standard of love was that you were to love others like you love you. But here, Jesus raises the bar. Here, he makes a new commandment. From this point on, followers of mine, this is how you're to love. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. You are no longer the standard of how you should love another person. I am. My, my love for you is now the standard by how you should love one another. See, this is the type of love that the Apostle Paul would explain in Philippians 2 or describe in Philippians 2 as how, uh, where we are in humility to value others ahead of yourself. See, before, you're like, okay, I want to treat others as I would treat myself. But now, this new commandment, okay, I'm in humility. I need to treat others ahead of myself, value others ahead of them. Why? Because that's how Jesus treated us. That Jesus willingly, voluntarily, humbly, sacrificially put our needs ahead of his own. And then he says, 
you must do the same now. That's how I want you to love one another. And when his disciples heard him say this this night, like, it didn't hit them as an abstract command. Like when, when they heard him say this, they would have immediately thought about what Jesus had just done for them, which we looked at last week, when he washed their feet. How Jesus, their teacher, their Lord, actually uh, voluntarily, humbly, sacrificially got down and washed their dirty feet clean. And you think, like, that kind of love, Jesus? And then, uh, less than 24 hours from now, they would see Jesus even take that another step forward. When they would watch Jesus, the Son of God, humbly and voluntarily lay down his life in their place, hanging from a Roman cross, covered in his own blood, and the saliva of the people who had spit upon him, dying for their sins to wash them clean of their sin. Not long after that, it would begin to uh, really dawn on his disciples to, to a new degree, to a growing degree. And when Jesus said, as I have loved you, you must love one another, he was calling them to love each other with a, an initiating and a humble and a gracious and a forgiving and a sacrificial and an extravagant type of love that goes way beyond simply treating people the way you want to be treated. Have you ever, uh, have you ever been served in a way that caused you to think, you know, if I'm honest... <laughs> I don't think I would have ever done that for someone. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Um, it's happened to me a, a, a couple times, and I think that says a lot about uh, my need to continue to grow. <laughs> but uh, just recently, uh, many of you all know this, but back in August, I had a bit of a health scare. I was uh, uh, found out that kind of stumbled upon the information that I had uh, dangerously high blood pressure. And I ended up spending six days in the ICU, and doctors tried to get my blood pressure under control. And while I was in the hospital, uh, someone in our church family uh, gave us $5,000 to help pay for our medical bills. And when I say someone, I say that because I, I don't know who it was. It was an anonymous gift. But I, I was just blown away by that. Because uh, like, I, again, to my shame, but like I've had family members and friends sp spend a good amount of time in a hospital, and not once has it ever crossed my mind to, to help pay for their medical bills, you know? And so, like, if this person or these people who ever gave this money, if they were thinking, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do for Jake what I want him to do for me, th they would be out of luck, Right? <laughs> It hadn't even crossed my mind, and then I also don't have the capabilities, unless I win the lottery, which I don't play. So they're still out of luck, <laughs> you know? And so uh, I think, like, what, what would motivate that kind of generous love? What would motivate that kind of love? It, it, it's not do unto others what you want them to do to you, what you'd have them do to you. Like, that is 
uh, love one another as I, as Jesus has loved you kind of love. That's, that's in light of how Jesus has canceled my debt on the cross. I am going to help cancel your debt, Jake, for these medical bills. That's that kind of love. And, and as a result, like I, again, I, as I said, I don't know who it was that did that. But I do know whose they are. I know that they clearly are disciples of Jesus because they love like him. Pastor and author Andy Stanley refers to this new command that Jesus gives here in John 13. That's the platinum rule. And he calls it that because uh, just how platinum records are better than gold records, which uh, college students, I know you, you're like, well, what is that? But uh, that's before Spotify, they actually sold albums, sold records. But the, um, in the same way, uh, the new command is uh, it's better than uh, the, uh, the golden rule. This new rule is better than the golden rule. It's no longer do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's do unto others as Jesus has first done for you. And the guys, if we do that, if we love everyone in that, if we love each other in that way, then Jesus is saying everyone, everyone will know that you're my disciples even after I'm gone. And you know what's amazing to me? Is that as you see the book of Acts begin, you see that that's actually what happened. Like as they, Jesus' disciples began loving one another as Christ had loved them, loving each other with this generous, radical, extravagant, over-the-top, like who would do that kind of love? People began looking into their community and seeing how the men treated the women and how the women treated the men and how they loved the widow and the orphan. And, and they saw how they loved and honored their, their children. And they saw how they were so generous with their possessions and with their money. And people began to look in and saying, like, who does that? And we're told at the end of Acts chapter 2 that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know why? Because radical love like this is incredibly attractional. People are drawn in by it. See, it's this kind of love that causes, that can cause people to say, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to be one of those, um, those disciples, but I really want one as a neighbor because they love really well. Now, I don't know if I'm ready yet to be a disciple, but I would love to work for one or I would love to hire one because they're so generous and selfless, and loving. Now, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready yet to, to become one of those disciples, but 
they sure make it look interesting. Because if that's the kind of person they become as a result of who they follow, then I might want to give it a second look. Friends, church family, brothers and sisters, is anyone looking into your life and saying that? The people in your life tell that you're a disciple, a disciple of Jesus, because of how you love like Jesus. I've been wrestling with that question all week. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm not happy with the answer. Like, I'm just like, you know, I, loving like Jesus, my goodness. Like, you have to be Jesus to do that, right? And it's like, no, I, I just, when I evaluate, which I've been doing this week, like, man, okay, am I, think about loving uh, my MC, loving the guys in my discipleship group, my huddle on Friday mornings. Loving our Midtown staff and our elders. And loving my own family. I'm thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's looking at my life and saying, man, you must be a disciple of Jesus. Because you love just like him. At times, yes, but consistently, mm, you feel that? Man, I feel that. Like, I mean, just this week, I'll share this to, to my utter shame. And I'm going to get a lot of grief on this, and I know. But, um... Like this week, I, Krista had a really, really busy work week. She works uh, two jobs. She's going to have the side, the side gig. And uh, she had, but that side gig was ramping up because of, you know, it's holiday season and all that stuff. And so she had two uh, nights that she was out working her second job this week. And, and as a result, it was just really busy and, um, you know, things around the house began to kind of pile up kitchen, begin to pile up with some dirty dishes, things like that. And, and um, you know what I did? I worked on a message about how to love one another like Christ loves me. <laughs> now, in case I lose all credibility in your eyes, I will say that... Uh, Later, after being convicted by the very thing I'm studying and ready to teach y'all, um, I did go and, and clean, clean the dishes and pick up around the house. Okay, so. <laughs> but, uh, like, man, I have so much room to grow in this. Like, chances are you feel the same way, Right? And yet Jesus says, this is the distinguishing mark. This is the thing that will let everyone know that you're one of his disciples. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we grow in this? What will help us become people who love others, love one another as Christ has loved us? Well, as I wrap up, I, I just want to kind of quickly point to uh, two or three things that I think will help you. And the first, the first is this. You have to be, friends, you have to be mindful 
of the way that Jesus has first loved you. That you have to know that you know that you know that this is how Jesus loves you. See, uh, one of the reasons why loving like this is so hard is because we all carry with us a fear, a fear that thinks, if I do not love myself, if I do not look out for myself, if I don't put myself first, then there will be no one left that will love me quite as well as I can, or at least no one left that is as committed to loving me as I am. But friends, when we're mindful of how extravagantly Jesus has loved us, it can set us free from that fear. And here's why. It's for the gospel tells us that Jesus has loved us to a degree that outperforms our own personal love for ourselves. That he does for us what we couldn't actually do for ourselves, regardless of how much we loved ourselves ourselves. See, in Jesus, we've been loved so well, so completely that uh, our greatest need, our need for salvation, our need for forgiveness has really been offered to us freely through his sacrifice on our behalf. Because that's something that we could never do for ourselves, no matter how much how much you love yourself. In addition, we're told that loving, I know that loving others is not just hard because of that fear, but loving hard, loving others like this is hard because um, we so often feel aware of this like love deficit that we carry around. And we're afraid that, like, if I try to love others that well, then I, like, I just don't have enough to give. I just don't have the capability. I don't have the ability to do it. Because we know loving others is easy, much easier, when we feel very loved by them, you know. When one of the guys in my huddle goes out of their way to, 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 to encourage me and to get time with me and, to, you know, help me around the house, like help me with a project on the house, which a couple of those guys have offered to do because I'm not a handyman. Um, like, I, I feel just really loved, loved by them, and I'm really happy to try to love them back. But whenever you don't feel that from someone, then it's like, oh, man, like, I, it's so much harder to initiate love, especially self-giving, sacrificial love. But, friends, when we're mindful of the gospel, when we're mindful of how Jesus has first loved us, then we can realize that we have been loved to the fullest degree. As John 13 begins, knowing that he was about to leave, Jesus loved them to the end, to the utmost, to, to the fullest degree. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Which is what Jesus has done for you and for me. That we are the recipients of the greatest love that can ever be given. And in Christ, we have been and we are now loved to the utmost. And nothing can separate us from that love, as Romans chapter 8 says. That the love that we have received from God through Christ is constant, never ceasing, never wavering, 
which is unlike the love that we have for ourselves, which so comes and goes depending on how well we think we're doing in whatever area. God loves us with a love that's better than the love we can offer ourselves, which frees us, enables us, and compels us to go and love others. And friends, what we have to do in that is that we have to stay mindful of it. We have to remember it. We have to believe it day to day to to rehearse it, to remember this is how we have been loved. We will be free to go and love. That's the first thing that we need in order to love others as Jesus has loved us. And the second thing that we need is that we need the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit's power because loving people like Jesus is not natural. And if you're going to rely on your own power, your own willpower to love like this, then good luck. Personally, I think my record is about like 7.47 a.m. I've like got up, I was like, I'm going to love, and I'm going to make it happen, and then out of my own power, and I made it to about 7.47, and then it was done. It was just a downhill from there. Like, hey, we just don't have the capacity in our own stores or in our own willpower to love like, like Jesus has loved us, but we don't have to rely on our own power. That because of how Jesus has loved us, he has in his death and his resurrection, our faith in him, given us the Holy Spirit. John 14, which we're going to get into in a couple weeks. Hey, Jesus has a lot to say about the Spirit because what we need the Spirit in order to love like Jesus loves. We can't do it on our own, but we can through the Spirit's power as we stay in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And he begins to produce that through you. Why? Because as Romans 5, verse 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As we rely on him, as we stay in step with him, we find in him a supernatural power, the very power of God, God's love being produced in us and through us. You can't do this on your own, friends. We cannot love like Jesus has loved us in our own power. But because of how he's loved us, and as we stay mindful of how he has loved us, and as we stay reliant on the Spirit's power, we can. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to just offer you a spiritual practice that helps me do those two things. In fact, last... uh, Last week, if you were here with us, it, it, it's, uh, you, you heard me already say this, though I'm going to expand it by one. But there's, there's this practice that I've been doing for about 12, 12 years that I, would th- that I think has helped me more than any other to stay mindful and encouraged by and compelled by God's love for me. And I just want to, again, reiterate that I think it would be very helpful for you to adopt this as a practice for you to stay mindful of how Jesus has loved you. And, and let me just add, it's, it's not just that you stay mindful of Jesus and that you, that you rely on the power of the Spirit, but the other thing that will really help you do this is if you slow down <laughs> so that you can do those other two things. And John Mark Comer in his book, Ruthless Elimination Hurry, makes the, the, the very 
a clear, uh, like, clear statement. Like, you, love and hurry, they, they don't go hand in hand. They're like oil and water. And guys, to be reminded of Jesus' love and to be reliant on the Spirit, we got to slow down to do this. And this spiritual practice to me is a way to slow down to help you do those two other things. And so what I would want to encourage you to do is just to begin the practice at the beginning of the day by asking yourself three questions. The first question is, who has served me? Or you could say, who has loved and served me? Second question is, how am, who am I to be loved and served by him? And the third is, how has he loved and served me? That when I'm mindful of who it is, who's, that the God of the universe, right, friends? That the God who created all things, the Lord Almighty, has loved and served me. When I'm mindful of who I am to be loved, like, I didn't deserve that. I'm a created being that's gone my own way. That is so inconsistent in my love for God, but yet he is so consistent. When I'm mindful of who I am, and yet he loves me. When, I'm, when I take the time just to think how he has loved and served me. Jesus came that he laid down his life. He died in my place. He forgave me of my sins, that he washed me clean, that he reconciled me to God, that he adopted me into the family of God, that he, I'm a co-heir with Christ, that I have eternal life. And as I go on, it's just like, has, man, can you believe that? And so that's, that is a very helpful way to start your day. And I just recommend it to you to stay mindful of how you've been loved and served by God. And then the second the thing that I'll add that's new from last week is just one more question. That question being, Spirit, who would you have me love and serve today? And when you're mindful of how you've been loved and served, then you're at a place where you're ready to go love and serve. And so you just ask, Spirit, who would you have me love and serve today? Now I can... I'm pretty safely to say that if you're married, your spouse is, is, is part of that answer. You just assume that. Or uh, if you have kids, then your children are part of that answer. But also you just ask, like, who, who is there someone else? Someone in my MC, someone in my huddle, someone in our church family, someone that you put in my path today that you would have me love like Jesus has loved me. And just sit with that. And let the Spirit bring you your mind and then ask the Spirit to empower you, to fill you with his love, to go do that. Because that, that will help us grow into people who will love and serve each other as Christ has loved and served us. Sound good? Okay. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.